Um, last week we began a series called We Are C3. C3 stands for Christ Community Church. We just got lazy after we planted and started making an abbreviation, and then it just caught on, and so we ran with it. So Christ Community Church, we are C3. Last week we began the series. I began by sharing our vision statement for where we are going the next three years. Our mission statement is to glorify God by making followers of Jesus Christ who are growing and multiplying. And over the next few years, the way we're going to go towards achieving that mission and what we're going to be fighting for and who we're going to be coming, uh, we're going to live through the vision of making disciples in authentic community. Discipleship doesn't happen in a vacuum, and it doesn't happen just solely by watching television shows or reading blogs or listening to podcasts. God created from community and through Christ restores us to a community that we might be transformed for his purposes. And so last week we talked about the transformational nature of worship, that part of the reason we exist is to help people rightly orient their hearts and their minds and their lives in worship. And worship that is true in life giving is life-changing. And we talked out of Romans eleven thirty-three through Romans 12, 2, about how true worship is a living sacrifice that is mind-changing and life-altering. And that as we strive to make disciples, part of making disciples is helping people reconnect to the one who made them, who loved them, who they've sinned against, yet he has sent his son Jesus to live, die, and rise again, so that by hoping in him alone, they can be reconnected with God and assured eternal life. And so this week, we're going to dig in a little bit more in what we mean by authentic community. We're talking about a unique, biblically informed, Christ-centered community. I've had people tell me before, you can go have more community over at the pub or at the coffee shop than you can at most churches. While I believe there probably are some elements that are better operated in those environments, the unifying factor in those places isn't Jesus. The unifying factor in those places is consumption, right? And so there's difference. And you go to those places to get something for you. When we come together as God's people, we come because everything's already been given to us. And so we come with our gratitude, we come with our affections, we come with our attention, we come with our loyalties and allegiance. We come giving to the Lord our offering of worship and of care and of love and of grace and of study so we might know the eternal one who's made himself known to us. The vision for 2020 is that we want to make disciples. We will make disciples in authentic community. That doesn't mean we've nailed it down and we're killing it on all ends, but that means that's the lens by which we're going to view our Sunday morning gatherings, the way we order our websites, the way we organize our website, the way that we do our children's ministry and our community groups and men's ministry and women's ministry, that we're going to be asking that question, does this help us to make disciples within authentic community? And so I want to unpack that a little bit for you in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32. And I want to emphasize the point that there is only one hope to experience true, authentic community. And the good news for you is it's not something that we can just manifest and make up ourselves. It's something that's been created and redeemed for us to begin to walk and step into. And so I love this passage in Ephesians chapter 4 because Paul is basically sharing with them, here's the definition of who you are now in Christ, and then because of those things, here now is how you shall live together in this community. Picking up in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members 
one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This passage unpacks this this juxtaposition of how we once were, but because of Christ, how we are empowered and enabled and called to be. It gives us a vision of, of striving towards godliness with some tangible values that help us really lean into what it looks like to be God's Christ-honoring community. The first he talks about is speaking truth with your neighbor. I would argue one of the things that prevents us most from speaking truth to one another is is our, our own people-pleasing tendency. Now, we have a tendency, if you think about the word people-pleasing, it sounds like we're blaming other people for being people. Right? It's their fault for being people, and I just, I'm a victim of their need for me to please them. That's not people-pleasing. That, that's not what we mean by people. People-pleasing means we are more concerned about how people experience us, believe about us, and value us that we're willing to compromise on many different things, including God's truth. And so when I get up here and say, man, I struggle with people pleasing, don't be like, oh, poor Casey. It must be such pressure for him to want to glorify himself all the time and appear better than he is. Pray for me, yes, but my people pleasing isn't like a God, I'm so humble that I want you to believe better of me than I really am. That's an integrity problem. So the issue of speaking truth, to you, some people err on not doing it at all. Like, you'll just be agreeable, you'll be quiet, you won't say anything. Or you're, you'll be the uninvited prophet that just wants to be right. Right? The, the question, when you're speaking truth to someone, the first thing you ask yourself is, why? Because I love Jesus and because he loves this person and because this person's sin is robbing them from the ultimate joy they were meant to have in God? Or do we want to be the, the truth teller to make ourselves feel better about our own righteousness? See, so the why behind what we're telling the truth about is very important in the context of community. How we go about doing that. When we go bringing truth to someone, are we kneeling like humble Jesus in John 13 who took off his outer clothing, took the form of a slave girl and washed his disciples' feet? Are we coming in high and mighty like a Pharisee telling people how they need to live up to the standard by which we believe God has and that we live up to as well? Speaking truth to one another and putting aside falsehood. Flattery is falsehood. And I think we live in a culture that just cultivates flattery. And flattery is, is, is a, de a decoy, if you will. Flattery prevents us from being able to have real intimate and real vulnerable discussions. Listen, when we finally start owning the fact that none of us are perfect, when we start realizing that we were created perfect, but our sin 
separates us from that source of perfection. And we have a tendency to make a mess of things. And we start owning that, and we know that God in our mess still chose to love us and reach down there and restore us. We really begin to own that valuation that God gives to us, not that we have to maintain for God, but because God chose to give it. When we begin to understand that the love of God is a choice he made for us and to us, we're then able to begin to live into the fact of our imperfection so that when my wife tells me, hey, you're missing, you're missing it here, I can mature and say, thank you for the feedback. And actually own it if she's right. And I'm not perfect yet, right, honey? But I'm, I'm striving towards that like, hey, she's for me. And she's evidence that God is for me. He, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. It's a proverb. And it's a grace. So when we speak truth, truth is conforming one's words to what is real. That's what truth is, conforming your words to what is real. Why do we do that? Because, as it says here, for you and your neighbor, you and your Christian brother and sister, you belong to one another. You're a part of a body together. If one of you is losing, we're all losing. If one of you is hurting, we're all hurting. That unity around the gospel that Paul had been talking about earlier in Ephesians is coming to bear in how it's expressed within the context of community. Authentic community is coming together in need, coming together with the hope of that truth being realized in the person of Christ. So we speak truth because truth is conforming our words to reality. We do so in a way that models after Christ by being helpful in how we're articulating. Why am I going to say this truth to this person, and is my desire really to help him or her? If it's not, then I would say that your critique is more blasphemous than helpful because it's self-glorifying. It's calling a person to your idea of standard rather than God's holy standard. And so we've got to be careful. The why and the how behind how we bring truth to bear in people's lives is important. We also must remember, as we talked about last week, that people's primary need isn't just a change of behavior. It's a connection, a right connection with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And until that is oriented, all we're doing is creating Pharisees. Those are religious people on the outside who can follow all the rules, but their hearts are far away from God. And they're dead on the inside. He then talks about dealing with anger within the context of community. There's a lot of anger in our culture. A lot. I mean, that's one of the primary methods next to sex is anger for marketing. Depends on the, the news channel you're watching. If it's a conservative news channel, then all of a sudden they tell you how you can buy gold for when the big crash does come. You can have gold. Right? I mean, it's fear and it's anger. And we don't know what to do with our anger, so either we stuff it in like good southerners, or we vent it out on everybody else, we don't know how to deal with our anger, and Paul gives instruction to the church in angry. Be angry. There are things that we are called to be angry about. Injustice should cause us to feel angry. The death of unborn children at the hands of their parents should make us angry. Racism should anger us. 
The neglect of those impoverished should bother us and make us angry. But Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Why? And give no opportunity to the devil. If you don't take hold of that anger and do something with it productive, Satan will take hold of it and corrupt it. There are things that we are called to feel righteously angry about. When your spouse sins against you, it is okay to feel hurt and to feel anger because of their sin. But to place yourself at greater offense than God himself is idolatry of your own self. And so when we're angry at our spouse because of sin they've committed, the sin of your spouse should, yes, bring hurt, and you will feel hurt, and you'll feel angry, but if your primary motive for your anger is because you've been offended, then you need to repent and change your thinking. Because the primary issue isn't that you've been offended. The primary issue is that your spouse has offended God. And when you fear your own wrath more than the wrath of God, then you're going to be offended and feel like God might forgive you, but I'm not there yet. You see the problem with that? Forgiveness and trust are two different things. Paul here is talking about forgiveness of, and what to do with anger. You can be angry, but anger is a wonderful invitation to ask, why am I angry? What's making me angry about this? What was I expecting? What do I want to see happen? Parents, the same thing with your kids. Kids are infuriating. Hey, kids, parents are infuriating. Amen? So Paul's saying, yes, be angry, but keep that in perspective and in proportion to your status as a sinner before God as well. And if your anger keeps welling up, it can quickly control you. And if you do not control it, you must own it and project it and give it to the Lord and allow the Lord to bring redemption and healing and restoration in your heart and life. Uh, many of you, your depression, your anxiety is rooted in deep anger. Some of the anger is just the fact that most of us sit in front of a computer all day. When we're made to move and to lift and to do things. And I mean, even the ladies, like in, in the Old Testament, we thought the ladies stayed home like rocked the baby all day. That's not true. Read Proverbs 31. She was industrious, rolling around doing real estate, taking care of land, procuring land, sealing deals, making things happen. And now we're just on Facebook or email. Both are a bummer. Amen? Amen. That's our primary mode of communicating with you, but hey. I just thought of that. Ding! Aha. We're going to start texting you more. You seem to like those better. But anger, he says, what do you do with it? You've got to do something with this anger. Don't let the sun go down on it. I'm angry. I feel angry because this, this, and this. Some of my anger is sinful. Own it. Jesus isn't like, really? Your, your anger is not becoming of my glory? Yeah. So, hey, guess what? When you're sinning in your anger, own it quickly. I'm mad that you offended God, and I'm mad that you offended me. I'm more mad that you offended me. God, I'm sorry. Let's call a timeout and come back together and figure this out. Your spouse, your child, your friend, your coworker, your business partner, their primary issue isn't that they offended you. Their prim your primary issue is that they have sinned against God. Sin should anger us. Why? Because the effect that sin has. Death. Sin kills. And to keep that rightly appropriated, it, it, it takes time and maturity and development. But 
we're gonna, people are gonna make you angry. You know how people in our area deal with getting angry with someone at church? They stop going or find another one. Fine, but guess what? You're gonna go to that next place and then another human being is inevitably gonna be there, otherwise it's not a church. And then they're gonna make you mad. And you're going to get your ball because there's so many different options to go shop at here in, in the woodlands. You're going to go find another church. And you're never going to mature. Maybe God uses anger that's not sinful to refine us and change us. Maybe anger is an invitation to first remind yourself of the gospel and your need for appeasing God's wrath, which has been paid for through the person of Jesus. I've been angry at a lot of you made me mad. We start at 10 o'clock. 10. Not 10.15, not 10.10. We buy extra computers to check all your kids in because you can't stop breeding. Praise God. Bows in your quiver and all that. Arrows in your quiver. I understand that. We start at 10. It makes me mad when I get up here and Gallon's up here. I mean, do you imagine how depressing his job must be? Every Sunday, we have a timer going off that no one's looking at except for the slide person. Yeah, the side person knows, like, oh, here we go again. John and I are on monster.com seeing if we need to look for something this week. Because maybe this is the week it all goes. <clears throat> and I get it. All of your kids are probably sick the same week. And I'm being sarcastic. I'm about to sin in my anger. So let me move forward. <laughs> Makes me mad. I want you to come and make it a priority to gather with the saints for the purpose of giving God the worth he needs. What you need is not more of God in the sake of consuming him. What you need is come because God's given everything. You come acknowledge that and receive that. And other people need your worship. And other people need your brokenness. And other people, not worshiping them, just to correct some of my elders, like, hmm? not, they don't need you to worship them. They need you to encourage them through your worship. Our worship should be evangelistic. We make it a priority to show up on time. We're going to drop our kids off. Well, I don't feel connected to church. Well, you show up at 1015. You don't go to community group. You don't respond to any email or text. You drop the ball and you're serving, and then it's our fault that you're not connected. And, of course, I'm talking to people that aren't here today, so I hope they watch the video. I'll try to get the video guys to edit down that clip just so you're like, oh, you're mad? Here, watch this. And then let them get angry and come talk to me about it. And we'll talk and be angry but not sin. And I forgive you, I released you, I've dealt with the anger, and I'm letting you know, 10 o'clock. <laughs> 10. Show up at 9.30 to 9.40, get your kids checked in, drink up all our coffee. I can't wait to have to go to Starbucks and say, please donate more. Because people are showing up and drinking it and connecting with each other. So I almost sinned, I almost started getting real sarcastic, so that's one of my tendencies. But I just want to let you know, like, hey, we work Hours upon hours, coordinating volunteers, putting things together. Our road crew gets here early to set up disciples in the context of authentic. And consume, we do it to create an environment to meet with God so that we can make disciples in the context of authentic community. And don't worry, I'm not like keeping tabs who walked in late today. I will next week. Okay, so <clears throat> I'm mad at you and you. But when you're dealing with your anger, sometimes your anger is inappropriate. And so you have to ask yourself, like, is this an appropriate anger? Part of dealing with anger and dealing with it quickly is sometimes we just need to cover an offense. And not out of passivity, but out of grace. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But anger happens. That's a new bumper sticker. Anger happens. 
So don't cut me off. All right, so the next one, stop stealing. That's what he goes through. He says, hey, in community, let the thief no longer steal. Hey, the gospel frees you to be different. It's not that you have to behave yourself to earn God's favor, but because you've now been given God's favor, you now have the power and the freedom to behave differently. Stop stealing. And many of you are like, man, I don't steal. Are you the best worker at your job? Are you doing a bunch of personal texts and emails and calls and Facebooks and YouTube's videos and personal things and using personal stuff, you know, doing personal stuff there? Are, are you worshiping God through how you're working? Are you looking for ways to add more value to the organization you're a part of? Are you working harder and fulfilling the tasks? Are you owning it when you make mistakes or blaming other people? Stop stealing. So let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Thieves are lazy, and they rob and steal, and they feel entitled that someone owes them something, and they consume, and they consume, and they consume. Paul says, hey, because of the gospel, don't be that person anymore. And when you work hard, you're not just working hard to make sure your need is met. You're working hard so that you can bring something to the table to help others in need. You move from just consumption to generosity. Productivity leads to generosity. If productivity is curating or or making in your life greater greediness, then one of the ways that you counteract that is by radical, sacrificial generosity. He then talks about watching your mouth. Now, this is a youth pastor's favorite verse to like talk about stop swearing or saying swears, right? While, yeah, you should watch what you say and around whom you say it and things like that, words or symbols and all that, I, I, I think Paul means more than your fiddle-faddle or other Christian swears that come out. Okay? I think he means more. Are your words life-giving or are they life-taking? Are they destructive or are they building up? Are they cultivating trust or destroying it? He says, let no corrupting talk, corrupting, rotting talk, talk that brings rottenness, a, a pungent fish, a rotten fish. That's the Greek word. It's rotten. Let no rotten talk come out of your mouth that is life-taking and killing, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear, as fits the occasion. Those of you who actually still use paper Bibles, underline that. Sometimes the best thing to say is nothing. Someone's parent suddenly dies or spouse suddenly dies. We stay away because we don't know what, what to say. Guess what? They're not going to remember what you say. They're going to remember your presence. So as it's fitting, there are words to say. There are plenty of times Where my sweet wife, as she's growing, says, no, I don't need to say it. And then I'm the jerk that keeps going, no, seriously, what is it? No, seriously, what is it? Dirt in your face, dirt in your face. Let's fight, right? I'm that guy. Baby, I'm sorry. This unwholesome talk that's tearing down. Some of your marriages will be greatly benefited just by stopping and saying, let's 
we need to take a break. And husbands, if, if your wife says, hey, we should take a break, take a break. Ladies, if your husband says, hey, we need a 10-minute timeout, take the timeout. Because your friend who you're mad at that feels like an enemy in the moment is actually calling for a reunification. If you and a friend are missing each other because you're getting all saucy over text message, call the person. I don't know what your straight smile face meant. Conflict via emoji. Awesome. Glad we're grown up here. So, Watch your mouth speak life into one another. Why? It honors the character and person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a life giver. The Holy Spirit is a helper. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. The Holy Spirit illuminates truth. We are walking in the Spirit, have been sealed by the Spirit, have been empowered by the Spirit, have been informed by God's Word, so that when we speak words to other people, we're not creating new words for God, but walking in obedience to the Word of God. But as long as our words are tearing people down or putting ourselves in a position of superiority, we are dishonoring God. Not honoring him. And so the last verse of this passage says, Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So I want to share with you three qualities of authentic community. I didn't put it on a slide because it's in the scripture kind, compassionate, forgiving. Kind means to be friendly, to be generous, be considerate. Look, we have like 100, 140 people, sometimes 80 people, depends on the Sunday or who's playing sports. You're not going to be best friends with everybody. After 40 people are here, it's impossible to know everybody well. And some of you are like, well, then we won't invite anybody else. Too late. I didn't plant a country club for Christians to come show off. We planted a church, which is a hospital for sinners, to come meet the Savior. So to be kind, Paul says be kind to one another. Friendly doesn't mean like you have to obligatorily say, let's go get coffee sometime. You may not want to get coffee with that person. Doesn't mean you're going to be like everybody, but hey, guess what? There's people, and I've said this before in our sermons, and y'all laugh like, <laughs> there better not be. There are people here who did not vote for our current president. There are people here that vote democratically. There are people here who don't agree with everything we believe. There are people here who struggle and doubt what the scriptures say. There are people here that are not Calvinistic. There are people here that are continuous, meaning that they believe that the, the sign gifts of the Spirit are still evident and manifest today, and then we have friends here today who are members of this church that are cessationists, that the sign gifts were meant for the season of the apostles and the foundation of the church. We have people that are pre-tribulation, pre, uh, pre-mill, pre-everything, meaning that Jesus will come before the tribulation, rapture out believers. We have people that are all-mill, believing that the, 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 the kingdom as it is manifest in the scriptures is metaphorical to show the coming age of the return of Christ. What we have central here is that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through him. 
And we believe that truth is evidenced through the authority of God's written scripture. And we believe that the preaching of God's word is faithful to the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of ministry and compelling those who are far from God to meet Jesus face to face. We need to be kind to one another. We need to be compassionate. Why? Because God has been so compassionate to us. He's been kind to us. He's been compassionate to us. It's this growing feeling or showing sympathy towards others. One of the ways you know you're maturing as a believer is that you're actually able to sympathize. Sympathize is not empathy. Empathy is where you're feeling what they're feeling. Sympathy is that you're willing to enter into where they are and try to seek understanding and let them know they're not alone. Because Christ Jesus entered into our isolation when we were still sinners separated from him as his enemies and showed great compassion towards us. And the third quality of authentic community is a forgiving community. We enter into conflict with the commitment of forgiveness. The dropping of resentment for an offense, a flaw, or a mistake. As I'm looking at my notes, I realize I've written two sermons. But I want to give you three things that are not part of the next, I'll just keep going next week. But you need to hear this. I want to make this very simple for you. What, what is it, what's the invitation for authentic community here at Christ Community Church? I, I have three statements that, if you're a community group leader, just raise your hand. Or if you have been a community group leader, thank you all for your sacrifice. If you want to be a community group leader, maybe one day write this down. There's three things you need to understand. Number one, at Christ Community Church, it's okay not to be okay. Ephesians 4, that's what he's, he's coming to. This is where you were, this is where we're going. It's okay not to be okay. It's okay to enter in broken and bruised, to be marred by your sin, to be harmed and hurt. It's okay to be not okay. When we're saying, hey, we need more people to serve back in the children's ministry, and we need people on road crew, and we need people to give generously financially, as God calls us to do with his resources. When we say those things, and you're sitting here, and you're like, my finances are not okay right now. Or, I am burned out and worn out because of life right now. It's okay not to be okay. Church, say that with me. It's okay not to be okay. Say it again. It's okay not to be okay. Number two, it's not okay to stay not okay. So you can come not okay, or you can become not okay, but it's not okay to stay not okay. The gospel doesn't permit that. And of course, I'm not speaking about a chronic illness or things that are going on. I'm speaking about your current situation or circumstance. The beautiful thing of the Christ of the Bible is he met people where they were and he refused to leave them there. So at Christ Community Church, it's okay not to be okay. But at Christ Community Church, it's not okay to stay not okay. It's okay if you came into this place with an addiction to pornography or an addiction to drugs or alcohol or confused about your orientation. It's okay to come in with your doubts. It's okay to come in not believing in the gospel of Jesus. It's okay to not be okay. It is not okay to stay not okay. Say that with me, church. It is not okay to stay not okay. Say it again. It is not okay to stay not okay. So it's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to stay not okay. And the third one is, Jesus has made a way for everything to be more than okay. For
Jesus has made a way for everything to be more than okay, even in terminal illness. When Paul writes in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Christ has made a way for even when things are not okay, will ultimately, in the end, be okay. That's how when you're depressed, you still put your feet on the ground and go about the work of loving and serving your family and doing the work set out before you to do. That's how we come in with courage to, to, to hard things. That's how we can go and confront sin of others. That's how we can come and talk about our own fears and be vulnerable. And that's how we can enter into counseling with our spouse if need be. Because it's okay not to be okay. It's not okay to stay not okay. And Jesus has made a way for everything to be more than okay. Say that with me, church. Jesus has made a way for everything to be more than okay. Let's say it again. Jesus has made a way for everything to be more than okay. We invite people in because it's okay not to be okay. If I had to get my act together before I went to church, I would never be here. And I know y'all's stories, none of you would be. So it's okay not to be okay. If you're here and you're beat down by church or you're just wore out by church and you need a season of rest, there's a beautiful word, word called communication. So let somebody know. If you consider Christ Community Church your home but you're not able to give much money right now because you're in a financial bind, communicate that to us. If you're in a financial bind, communicate that to us. We love to help. We love to help meet needs. We love to help counsel you into better management of your finances. We want to come alongside of you. If we ask you to serve in children's ministry and you're like, I hate children, then thank you for telling us that. Stay away. <laughs> if you don't want to serve in the children's ministry because it's hard work and you don't want to give up a Sunday a month, we need you to step up for three months. We need you to step up for three months as we're rebuilding. You've done your time on road crew and everything else. For three months, I need you men or ladies to step up once a month. It's okay not to be okay, church. It's just not okay to stay not okay. Why? Because Jesus has made a way for everything to be more than okay. Doesn't mean you don't need love. Doesn't mean you don't need encouragement. Doesn't mean that you don't need the gospel. It just means that ultimately community group leaders and potential community group leaders and disciples in our church, we're okay if people are not okay. Our job isn't to fix them, but point them to the one who can. So it's not okay to stay not okay because Jesus has made a way for everything to be more than okay. So I said at the beginning of the series, this would be a determined relationship. For some people, they're not sure if this is where they want to be. They may want different, something different for the church, for a church, for their family. I understand. I want to be abundantly clear about where we are going. We are committed to making disciples of Jesus Christ in the context of authentic community. That requires time, it requires proximity, it requires money, it requires training, it requires commitment, it requires showing up before 10.15, throwing it out there. Making our time together a priority because God is a priority, and he calls his people to gather together. It's not okay to, 
to not be, it's okay to not be okay. If you're not okay today, we're going to have some pastors and elders along the side of the room to pray with you. Come and just confess, hey, things aren't okay. You don't have to give much detail if you don't want. If you want to confess, fine. And we're not going to fix you right now. We're just going to pray for you. It's okay not to be okay. But I will be honest with you. If you're not okay, it's not okay to stay that way. Why? Because Jesus has made a way for everything to be more than okay. There is only one hope to experience true authentic community. His name is Jesus. That's what we're centering around. That's what we're falling forward in. That's what we're forgiving because of. It's okay not to be okay. It's not okay to stay not okay. Because Jesus has made everything more than okay. That's where we're going. This is who we are, C3. I hope you'll join us. I want you all here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you that through your son, Jesus, you've made a way for all of us who at one point have not been okay to become okay so that we can point others to the one who can make them okay as well. And that's the heart of evangelism, Father. That's the heart of mission. It's those who understand what it is not to be okay, to go to those who are not okay, to become okay in Christ. So Lord, as, as you're rising up things in our church family's hearts and minds, Lord, I pray for those who maybe realize this isn't where they are called to be or what they're called to be a part of. I pray your blessings upon him or her or their family if they make a decision to go somewhere else. But Father, I pray that no one hears from this talk today that if they're not okay, they need to go somewhere else because that's not true. It's okay to not be okay right now. But that they would understand that it's not okay for us to leave them there. And so, Father, I pray that we'd really be your church, that we would be intentional about making disciples an authentic community. That's something that you've called us to, you've called us to fight for, that you've made promises towards through your son, Jesus, and that you promise to empower. We want your power, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.